Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy, addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to AKS. This is episode 12, looking back on the week of whatever. I have no idea. It has been so crazy. It has just been crazy. I'm, I'm not even sure when episode 11 posted. I've been trying very hard to faithfully post every week so you can count on me. Uh, being there for your entertainment and information, but it has just been nuts. So most of you know, my day job is uh, I'm a middle school teacher. I teach technology and engineering to 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. And on March 12th, our students had a half day scheduled so, so that we could do parent conferences in the afternoon and then into the evening, which is never something I look forward to. I've I've never really had any problems with parents or anything. Uh, Most of them are very happy to have their children in my classes. But, uh, you know, it's a long time. I drive a long way. The the evenings are a little bit rough. Well, it was around 2.30 that Thursday of March 12th that the governor of my state, Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, issued an order that all of the schools in my county were going to be closed effective immediately until March 30th. So all of a sudden, we get this word that you're not coming back to work for at least two weeks. Well, that was, of course, now extended. Uh, During that time, the, the middle of the very next week, I took the opportunity to fly to Florida, not for vacationing, okay, But my parents are down there. They were down there. They have over, I don't know, the last 15 years or so spent their winters in Florida. And that's getting to be a bit of a hassle at their their current age. So they sold their their residence down there and needed to pack up all of their worldly belongings down there in Florida. Maybe it's not worldly then. Their Floridian belongings. uh, Pack them up and... Bring them back here to Pennsylvania. They live in an apartment on my property. Well, they rented a big trailer, and uh, they were having some difficulty getting everything packed up. My daughter flew down for a week to help them, and then I flew down a week later, helped them pack up, and helped them drive their car and their big trailer back home to Pennsylvania, where they now reside with me safely. And uh, we're always glad to have them back, and they are very glad to be back. So it was interesting as we were driving back, we seemed like we were about a half step ahead of things getting closed. Uh, the first night I was down there, we were able to find a restaurant with no problem and sat down and dined there. And then the next day for breakfast, uh, we were able to find a restaurant, good old Cracker Barrel, love it. Uh, but every other table was closed so to kind of keep the social distancing between the uh, different tables so that people could eat and not breathe on each other, at least not people that you're not familiar with. So anyway, uh, while I was gone, my school said, oh, we're going to have to extend our closures and you're going to have to prepare for online schooling, which is tough for me. I teach a hands-on course, technology and engineering. And uh, I had to get home and then write about how to uh, how to deliver my content over the internet. So it was a huge amount of work. Not complaining. Happy to have my job uh, and to still be working. But it was a huge amount of work. And then the first hour of the first day of online schooling, the online system crashed. So it was just predictable comedy of uh, of errors and uh, what do they call it? A, a string of unfortunate events. What is that movie? Anyway, on our way back to Pennsylvania, we were driving. We split up into three days. Uh, I let my parents listen to some back episodes of this podcast. And what was really great, it's always nice, even though I'm well into my 50s, they approve. My parents approve. I hope you'll improve. You'll approve. <laughs> I hope I will improve just in saying the right words. Uh, I hope you'll approve of edition 12, which happens 
right now. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? My governor in Pennsylvania, his name is Tom Wolf, and he originally excluded firearms dealers from the list of life-sustaining businesses allowed to remain open during the accommodations uh, following the spread of, you know, the, the C word. Well, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court issued a dissenting opinion. Justice Wecht wrote that being open with health accommodations can preserve sensible, this is a quote now, sensible restrictions designed to slow the spread of COVID-19, but nonetheless provide a legal avenue for the purchase and sale of firearms, thus avoiding an impermissible intrusion upon a fundamental constitutional right. Hey, sounds like Justice Wecht is on our side. He and Justice Donahue and Doherty uh, are all on the right side of liberty. Maybe others, but those are the ones that came up in the story, and I'm glad they're on my state's Supreme Court. And they kind of trimmed back uh, Governor Wolf's infringements. And, uh, of course, we appreciate uh, Joshua Prince of the Civil Rights Defense Firm. He was one of the speakers, by the way, back in November on the uh, Second Amendment Rally Day on the uh, Capitol lawn. Uh, he's, a, he's a fired up individual and very committed to uh, the civil right of uh, self-defense. So anyway, he is the one that uh, that brought the uh, legal action that took that issue to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. So appreciate uh, Joshua Prince. And uh, just last week, this happened. Do I have a date on there? I don't have a date on there. When this happened? Oh, March 24th. It's on March 24th. But uh, more recently than that, President Trump himself up updated the Department of Homeland Security's list of essential businesses to make sure that gun manufacturers and FFLs are included in that list of essential businesses. Way to go, President Trump. Uh, I, got your, I got your back this November for sure, Mr. President. Well, while we're here in Pennsylvania, this next story I have titled, Give Me Back My Bullets. I had uh, a friend... And a follower of AKS, alert my attention to Pennsylvania House Bill 2344, which uh, is one of those amendment bills. It amends the uh, PA statutes, Title 18, Crimes and Offenses, to include ammunition basically as a controlled substance. So you can't just go out and buy ammunition for yourself. Uh, there is uh, more government muckety-muck and to-do uh, to, for you to go through in order to uh, purchase ammunition should this actually pass. Now, it effectively eliminates internet ammunition sales, which is which is what I do. I like to support my local gun shops, but buying bulk over the internet can be a real savings, and you know ammunition is, uh, is quite costly. So uh, it effectively eliminates that because, of course, it's going to add a tax to everything, but ammunition would no longer be able to be shipped to your door. It would have to be shipped to a firearms dealer, an FFL, just like if you bought a gun over the Internet. Did you know that? Did you know that, that you can't just buy a gun over the Internet? Uh, you know, a lot of the gun grabbers out there want to get you scared that people can just, you know, secretively get on the Internet and buy a gun and have it shipped to their door and nobody knows about it, which who cares? I don't care if anybody knows about it. But anyway, you can't do that. You have to have that gun shipped to a firearms, a federal firearms licensee, an FFL. Well, now they want to do that with ammunition here in Pennsylvania. At least the people that uh, introduced this bill. So anyway, uh, there's a tax. There's background checks that could take 30 days to complete. You have to um, you have to apply for an ammunition purchase authorization permit, which will put you on a list, list, a.k.a. registry, of ammo buyers and a $50 fee. Of course, the government's got to make some profit off this somehow. They have a tax and on each box of ammunition, plus a $50 fee for every time you apply for their permit or renew for that permit. The, uh, the bill is currently in the Pennsylvania Judiciary Committee. 
But as you should, I called my representative and said, I, I'm very fortunate. Brian Cutler is my uh, representative here in Pennsylvania, Southern Lancaster County. He's very pro-gun, very pro-2A. Uh, but I called him anyway. Say, hey, appreciate your support as always. I just want you to understand that I'm here and uh, I appreciate your support and that I oppose House Bill 2344. And I actually talked to a live person. I called his local office and talked to a live person. I'm used to getting an answering machine. And uh, they assured me that uh, Representative Cutler assures us all that this bill is going nowhere. It's not going to get out of the Judiciary Committee, uh, and uh, I shouldn't let it keep me up at night. But that's not to say we shouldn't uh, remain diligent. In my state, we cannot rest because stuff by our governor, our uh, attorney general, and uh, many of the uh, the left side of the aisle in our General Assembly are constantly bringing up more and more things that are restricting our rights. Where in Pennsylvania, our Constitution says our right to bear arms shall not even be questioned. I love that. Incidentally, Pennsylvania, just aside here, can we talk? You got a few minutes? You probably can't go anywhere anyway. Pennsylvania's Constitution, in its original form, preserved the right of self-defense for its residents. There is mention in our very first Constitution in Pennsylvania uh, to preserve the right of the people to bear arms for self-defense. Uh, not just personal self-defense, defense against a tyrannical government. Well, guess what? That Constitution, that first Constitution of Pennsylvania, was ratified before the United States Constitution, let alone the Bill of Rights. So the right to bear arms has been in Pennsylvania documented to be protected in our state since before the United States Constitution. Eh, you know, a little proud of that, a little ashamed of how difficult it is to keep that, but keep it, we shall. Hey, dry it. You'll like it. I was very fortunate, as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, that uh, recently, before the uh, the big scare that we're under uh, and the hoarding began, I purchased a thousand rounds of bulk ammunition from my favorite online website. And, uh, you know, you can get a savings per round, and if you buy big enough bulk, you don't pay for shipping. So it actually turns into real savings, which uh, I really appreciate because, you know, I'm not exactly a daddy warbucks, you know, not made of money. So even though I've got almost a thousand rounds for my handgun and uh, similarly for my AR, uh, I want to be conservative with live fire practice because I, I don't know how long these gouged ammunition prices or just the elevated prices from market forces, I don't know how long they're going to stay high. So dry fire practice is very helpful. I wanted to take a moment uh, for this week's tip, this edition's tip about dry fire practice. Dry fire practice is, of course, the uh, practice of firing your your gun, quote unquote, without any ammunition in it. Okay, and you can practice a whole lot of things. You can practice grip, sight alignment, sight picture, stance, trigger control, follow through, and your draw. All through dry fire, uh, it's valuable. It uh, does not completely take the place of live fire practice, but uh, it, it is very helpful as a complement to live fire practice, and it can replace uh, a certain amount of live fire practice. So anyway, step one when you are dry fire practicing is to clear your gun. If you're not familiar with the nomenclature, excuse me, clear your gun means make sure it's completely empty. There's no ammunition in it anywhere. So to clear a gun, you drop the magazine and you lock the slide back. And this is, of course, for a semi-automatic uh, pistol. You lock your slide back and eject the round that's in the chamber out. Okay, that's how you clear the gun. Step two, verify that the gun is cleared. You hold it up, look in the chamber, you look through the magwell, make sure that there is no ammunition anywhere. And then you release the slide lock, let the slide go back into uh, battery position, 
and then check it again. Yes, it's worth doing. And yes, even the most experienced people, assuming that they're responsible, experienced shooters, they will do that. They will not make any assumptions because they know the danger of negligence when you're handling a firearm. Okay, now once you have cleared your gun, you take your ammunition and you put it in a cabinet or even better, put it in another room somewhere else than where you're going to be practicing and then you're ready. So in your room, you want to pick a target. I have in my office, I have a paper plate with a bullseye sticker in the middle that I can tape up pretty much anywhere. And I want to hang it. I want to still, yes, I cleared my gun. I verified it was clear and then I verified it again, but I am still going to exercise muzzle awareness. So I'm going to say, okay, if there's a bullet that leaves my muzzle uh, totally unexpectedly, what is going to get destroyed? And if the uh, answer is potentially more than just the drywall that I'm aiming at, uh, I need to pick a different wall. Maybe go down to the basement or something like that. I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to stray around to go out over the, uh, the road or into a neighbor's house. We need to be careful about where I'm pointing that, albeit empty, firearm. Okay, so you pick a target, hang it up, or you know, maybe it's a light switch, just a light switch on the wall. And then you can begin your dry fire practice. Now, if you've never done this before, I have some suggestions. There's lots of dry fire practice exercises out there, but some really simple things. First, try dry firing from an isosceles stance. That's the uh, primary uh, two-handed stance that we teach here at AKS and many people teach where you are uh, it's a two-handed grip and the your arms form an isosceles triangle with your shoulders okay isosceles triangle means two sides are the same length for those of you who are geometrically challenged so i uh, try just dry firing 25 fires on target and each time you fire you're going to watch your sight alignment and when you press that trigger back and you hear the click, uh, what happens to your sights? Does that front sight dip? If it is, you're being a little too hard on the trigger. Okay. Uh, does Do the sights move from one side to the next? You need to compensate for those things. So this, this is part of follow-through. Okay, follow through when you shoot is just like baseball or golf or anything else where after you make contact, after you initiate the business of whatever you are doing, you know, in golf when your club hits the ball or in, in softball when the bat hits the ball or in shooting when your trigger gets to that break point, you still after that maintain everything that you are doing uh, to ensure your good form. Okay, well, when you when you swing a golf club, I don't know much about golf. I don't care to know much about golf. Okay, but many people do, so I include it here. Uh, I'm pretty sure that when you hit a golf ball, you don't stop your swing when you hit the ball. Okay, you follow through. So with a gun, when that trigger breaks, you continue to hold that gun steady on target. And so when you are done and the trigger has gone through its break point, your sight alignment and sight picture should still be on target. That's how you are going to verify if you engaged in good form. Okay, that's that's where the practice parts comes in. You're not you're not just pulling a trigger. You're pulling a trigger and assuring that your sights were on target and that they stayed on target and that uh, particularly the front sight didn't dip. That is the most common, uh, the most common error. Okay, so after you have done that, I want to say 25 times or, you know, so that you have done it well several times in a row, maybe you want to practice your draw slowly, animatedly, one step at a time. Pull the trigger, pull your gun straight up out of retention position, out of the holster, straight up, keeping your elbow behind you, and then dropping the elbow down, marrying your hands together right in front of your chest, and then pressing forward. Okay? Step one step at a time, step by step. Practice that, including with the, the dry fire at the end, making sure that those sights stay on target. They stay aligned and they stay on target. So practice that. 
several times. Like say, oh, I don't know, 25. It's just an arbitrary number. But the point of drilling is you do something over and over again until you're practically sick of it. Okay, And assuming that even though you're sick of it, you're still doing it well, then you've done a good thing. Once you've done that, say, 25 times, you start to increase the speed of the draw until basically you are practicing your emergency draw, your, your, uh, your go time draw. But even so, you go for that gun quickly, you pull it out and get it on target quickly, and you press, you still press, you're not yanking on the trigger. You press on that trigger to get the round off, the imaginary round, because this is dry firing. Uh, and then you still see, are my sights aligned? Is my sight picture correct? Okay, and that's the way to practice your draw in dry firing. There's no replacement for live fire, but some important skills can be honed without the money for ammunition and the time and money of going for the range. Well, moving out of Pennsylvania and, uh, and our bedrooms or our office here, I want to take a look at uh, a report from America's First Freedom. That is a publication from the National Rifle Association about New Jersey. Uh, when it comes to residents applying for licenses to carry firearms in New Jersey, New Jersey is known as a may-issue state. May-issue state. And what may-issue state means is that maybe you'll get your license, uh, maybe you won't. When a Jersey resident applies... State law requires that he or she demonstrates a justifiable need to carry a handgun. That's according to New Jersey Administrative Code 1354. What did I just say? Are you listening? Are you listening? Hey, pay attention. When a Jersey resident applies, state law requires that he or she demonstrates, now this is a quotation, a justifiable need to carry a handgun. That should be outrageous to your ears, that the government demanding you to justify whether or not they should allow you to carry a firearm. The government requiring you to justify according to their specifications, their subjective specifications, whether or not you should be allowed to carry a gun. It is called the Second Amendment. Your right to keep and bear arms, which is you carrying your arms, shall not be infringed. But New Jersey, they're infringing all over the place. They're going to say, oh yeah, you want to carry a gun? Well, prove to me that you really need to. I don't think you need to. That's outrageous. That is just outrageous. That should make your blood boil just hearing it, especially if you live in New Jersey. God bless you. What a, what a nice state that would be. I would, I would visit New Jersey a lot more than uh, I do if they weren't so crazy with their gun laws. My wife loves Cape May. I've been to High Point State Park a number of times, uh, Cowtown Rodeo. There's lots of fun things to, to do in New Jersey, but I would just prefer not to go there. Well, anyway, if the local police chief or state police superintendent is not convinced about your attempt to justify your need to carry a handgun, yeah, too bad for you. You don't get it. Well, in, in one baby step in the right direction, this month, the New Jersey Supreme Court ruled that, I'm sorry, not, it wasn't this month, it was in January, that a citizen denied a license must get an appeal trial within 30 days that he requests it. So uh, if he comes back, his application comes back denied, he can demand an appeal trial that has to take place within 30 days. Now, I'm assuming that in that trial, he will need legal counsel. And of course, that will cost him money. Yeah, it's like I say, it's a baby step in the right direction. You might call that progress, but listen, about 17 other states in the Union say that the Constitution is your license to carry, and that's all you need. Now, which one of those sounds more like shall not be infringed? Okay, well, while we're uh, infringing on firearm rights, or at least uh, talking about how the government's trying to do that, there is a big, big issue that we need to discuss. 
oh, pardon my loud consumption of coffee here on episode 12. Have you heard that? If you haven't heard of this bill yet, you need to increase your presence in the gun community online and in uh, other other areas. HR 5717 is called the Gun Violence Prevention and Community Safety Act of 2020. Right now, buzzword alarms should be going off in your head because anytime a politician says gun violence prevention, it really means restricting law-abiding citizens' right to own and carry firearms. And Community Safety Act almost always means the same thing which is actually the opposite of what it's claiming. It doesn't do you remember Cesar Bacaria from uh, the last episode or the episode before with uh, with this podcast about how he in very fancy language said if you outlaw guns only outlaws will have guns and if only outlaws have guns everybody is less safe. He said that in much more eloquent terms. Uh, but it wouldn't fit on a bumper sticker. You know, look us back up on the past episodes on that. It's a really good uh, article in that podcast about that uh, legal genius that had a lot of influence with our uh, our country's founders. Anyway, I got an email from the Firearms Policy Coalition. Good outfit, firearmspolicy.org. Uh, despite the typo in my notes, with that, which I can't ignore, so I've said it, and now we can move on. If you spell firearms policy without a space in between, .org, you'll get to where you need to be. I got an email from them and a message from a faithful follower of the AKS Facebook page about this bill, H.R. 5717. Now, as I read the email from F- the FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, uh, I saw many in their summary many big league gun control items in their summary of this bill. Well, at the end it said, and more than we can possibly list here in this space. Now, maybe I'm just a natural born skeptic. I'm very pro firearms policy coalition, but that just sounds like, like hype and like laziness. I'm like, Oh, come on. Really? You know, and it's like one of those one of those commercials on TV. And if you act now, we'll throw in another one at absolutely no cost to you. Just uh, increase uh, shipping and handling. It's kind of sounded like that. So I thought it sounded lazy, so I looked up the bill. It's 260 pages long of every gun control uh, concept uh, or act or initiative I think I have ever heard of and more. And lists are tough here on audio podcasts, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna breeze through here. And if you if you just kind of blur as I'm saying this, when I'm done the list, just say, "Wow, that's a lot of stuff. This is serious." So this is the list that the FPC passed along to me, plus a few that I saw when I read through the bill that I added in there that I don't think that they uh, they mentioned. Not that they didn't catch it, but they didn't mention. All right, so there's a mandate for a federal license to buy guns, requiring, among other things, potential gun owners to pass a live fire competency test. Okay, so here we are on item one on my list, and already I got to stop. So in order to get a gun, you have to get a license to buy a gun. Now imagine this is your first gun buy, which a lot of people are doing right now with this whole you know shutdown, shelter-in-place, uh, quarantining thing. There's been quite a rush on gun buys, uh, which is good, assuming people are also getting trained. But imagine if you couldn't get a gun unless you proved that you could handle a gun. So you've never had a gun before. This is your first gun. And then you're going to have to prove to some government agency that you can handle the gun that you have never had your hands on. It uh, it doesn't make sense You talk about squelching uh, people's foray into practicing their Second Amendment rights. That's a big one right there. Okay, so first item on the list, you have to have a license to buy guns and pass a live fire competency test in order to get that license. Of course, universal background checks are in there. There's a seven-day waiting period to buy a firearm. There is a creation of a nationwide gun registry. Now listen, folks. If you look into gun into history, 
you will find that every gun confiscation act in the in, in recent history and I, when I say recent history I mean at least within this century or the century previous every gun confiscation by a government that ever took place was preceded by a gun registry uh, H.R. 5717 also bans almost all semi-automatic rifles, institutes a federal magazine ban, a ban on untraceable and undetectable firearms. Uh, in other words, uh, partially manufactured frames and lowers, or 80% lowers. We talked about that a few times here uh, on the AKS podcast. God forbid you actually own a gun that the government doesn't know anything about. Um, apparently, even though it's been happening since the dawn of time, all of a sudden it should be a, uh, a breach of government uh, if you own a firearm of your own making and they don't know about it. The bill also implements a national red flag gun confiscation. It will tax guns at 30% and ammunition at 50%. It bans uh, patriots under 21 from exercising their Second Amendment rights. It rations guns by making it illegal to purchase more than one firearm in a 30-day period. It will force safe storage requirements on gun owners. In other words, if you don't store your gun locked up in a safe, you have broken the law. Now remember, it's not the government's job to legislate wisdom. Okay, the government's job is very limited by the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say governments should make laws to make sure that its residents, uh, that its citizens are wise and behave wisely. It's not in there. So I'm not knocking safe storage, but I am knocking the government uh, saying that they have a responsibility to enforce it. It bans suppressors. Oh, shock. It forces to spend massive amounts of money to comply with new security requirements. And it expands gun-free zones to colleges and universities. I just want to pull my hair out. It's hard to get a hold of it anymore. Okay, there's less and less of it there. The gun-free zone. I mean, all of this is so ill-conceived and so wrong-headed no truly thinking person can actually propose these uh, expecting that it's going to make the world a safer place. The gun-free zones, it just slays me. It is the epitome of if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. Trust me, as uh, Cesar Beccaria said, if someone has it in their mind to break the highest law, that is not to kill other people. If someone has it in their mind to do that, your petty little gun laws aren't going to matter to them a hill of beans. It's not going to be the deciding factor as to whether or not they go through their evil deeds, their evil thoughts. So the gun-free zones, all it does is put innocent people uh, at vulnerable risk of being victimized by, by evil. So anyway, feel free to thumb through this yourself. If you search for HR 5717 2020, that's the year 2020, uh, you can look at it and if, if nothing else, just scroll and see the vast expanse of this bill and realize of all those 260 pages, not a line of it is any good whatsoever. But go ahead and look it up. Make sure you include the 2020 part because this, this bill number has been used in the past. So make sure it's 2020. Consider donating the Firearms Policy Coalition uh, as they continue to fight this kind of stuff and they are engaged in the fight against 5717, uh, Second Amendment Foundation. These people need our financial support. They need our financial support. They cannot operate, especially you know, in the legal system, challenging these laws. The courts cost money. Lawyers cost money. They have bills that they have to pay. Uh, and, and it costs money. So you can also call the congressional switchboard. Have you ever done that before? It is so easy. You don't have to, what is my congressman's phone number? You don't have to know that. All you have to do is call the congressional switchboard and then somebody will answer you say, oh, would you hook me up with Senator Toomey? Ich. Senator Casey, double ich. Representative Smucker, I'm going over uh, my representatives from my state uh, in the Congress, 
and they will patch you through. Most likely you will get an answering machine uh, and you can state your case. Uh, I imagine being brief would be uh, advisable because I don't know if they're going to sit there and listen to a two-minute diatribe on a recorded device. But register your opposition to these things. Do this. Make a practice of doing this. Put this on speed dial or in your contacts or something, the congressional switchboard. It's area code 202-224-3121. Give them a call. Give them a call frequently. Let your voice be heard. Learn your lesson from Virginia. We will not shut up. And we will not stand by uh, while the left destroys our country. The country founded on liberty? Not anymore. Not if the libs get in, uh, get in charge and get a hold of the get a hold of the Constitution and continue to rip it to shreds like Nancy Pelosi did of the State of the Union address. All right. Well, now I mentioned in House Bill fifty seven seventeen one of the things that it would legislate would be a safe storage act, okay, requiring by law gun owners to lock up their guns. And I will reiterate. Locking up your guns is a responsibility that you have as a gun owner. You have a responsibility to make sure that no one has access to your gun uh, that's uh, unauthorized. And who's unauthorized? Everybody except you. You're the only one authorized to access your gun. That's the way it should be. It's either on your person or locked up in your safe. All right. So, uh, former NYP... NYPD detective and uh, current published author. His name is David Chinese (laughs) and not like he's from China. C-H-I-A-N-E-S-E. He was mentioned in an article lately from uh, Fox 10 out of Phoenix. He's quoted as saying, lazy and incompetent gun owners are a major source of guns used in crime. He went on to say, quote, it's literally that simple. Unsecured or improper secured firearms are one of the largest contributors to illegal guns on the street. So stashing your gun in the console of your car while you run into Buffalo Wings restaurant is an exceedingly bad idea. Now, I mentioned Buffalo Wings because they're a notorious chain-wide gun-free zone. I think it's a better idea. Instead of stowing your gun in the console to go into Buffalo Wings, it's a better idea not to go into Buffalo Wings. But that's a different rant, a uh, gun-free zone rant. But anyway... Uh, don't store it in the console of your car. You're going to lock your car door and that's going to secure it. Guess what? Glass breaks. Okay. And happens all the time. Storing your guns in one of those beautiful gun cabinets with the glass doors. I used to teach high school wood shop. And, uh, one of the things that people used to like to make were these beautiful, uh, gun cabinets for usually people would store hunting rifles in there. And, uh, it had these tall glass doors and, uh, you know, guns are, guns are cool looking Woodworking is beautiful, so it was, a, it was a nice project. Don't do that. It is not securing your firearms. You put a little gun on the door, serious? Excuse me, you put a little lock on the door? Are you serious? That's going to make... Uh, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. It's a bad idea. Leaving it on your nightstand. It's a bad idea. Even while you're sleeping, I don't recommend it. I prefer something else, a biometric safe or a locking system or something, where you can access it quickly. Um, it's a bad idea. Closet is also a bad idea. Okay, so I paused uh, there for a moment because a memory went flashing through my head. Again, I'm off. I'm off my notes. But you know, what are you going to do? You're quarantined. You, you could listen to me all day, right? Well, one of my children I, I had some difficult teenage years with a few of my kids, and one of my children used to sneak into my bedroom at night, take my cell phone, and uh, text people who they definitely shouldn't be texting okay unfortunately i was keeping track of things uh she would delete them off the phone but when i would look at my account online i would see these numbers didn't appear on my phone was able to put two and two together and had to take action against that child plus the uh, people that uh, were being texted so anyway bad idea this child thought it was exciting to be able to sneak in and take something of mine 
uh, right from under my nose while I was sleeping. Imagine if that was a gun. Mm-mm, no way. So very few guns that are used in crimes are purchased legally. They are stolen and used or stolen, sold on the black market and used. So the uh, article from Fox 10 in Phoenix from that expert, uh, David Chinese, said, uh, lock up your firearms if you, uh, if you own any. Be a responsible gun owner. Well, we kind of went around a little bit. I went around the nation to the Capitol and Phoenix and back here in good old Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, where I live. Uh, there's this story I call Blind Justice. So it's a story and a little something to think about. Uh, again, this is a faithful follower of AKS who alerted me to this on the Lancaster Crime Watch. Uh, here in good old Lancaster County, there's been another negligent discharge of a gun. We had one uh, in a church security office uh, a month or two ago. And uh, this one could have been quite serious. An elderly man named James Schelling, who was blind, was loading his 45 caliber Kimber in his home. He allowed it to go off. Now, note the word allowed, because I don't like accidental discharge. I like the term negligent discharge. You know what makes a gun go off, and you know how to make it not go off. So you should always make it not go off, unless you are actually on target trying to shoot something. So he allowed this gun to go off while he was loading it. The shot exited his home and went through two walls of his neighbor's home where the slug landed next to a bed in the bedroom. How's that for a wake-up call? Well, the police were called on the scene, and they were able to put two and two together based on uh, forensic evidence and figured out where the shot came from. And um, the uh, elderly man, Mr. Schelling, was charged with the discharge of a firearm into an occupied structure and recklessly endangering another person. Okay, so that's an interesting story, right? Uh, but why? Why is it interesting? Isn't it interesting because the gun owner was blind? Was his blindness the reason why the gun discharged? Well, no, it was not. Your eyes don't discharge a gun. Your fingers do. It's amazing when you think of what blind people are able to do. They're able to walk around town or walk around in public buildings, let alone in their own house. Uh, in my school uh, a couple of years ago, it was a very sad story. Uh, a girl uh, developed a brain tumor, a very serious brain tumor. She had surgery to remove the tumor. And as a result of the surgery, she lost her sight. Stone blind, utter darkness. Well, she was out for the remainder of the year, and when she came back to school the next year, she had uh, a cane, you know, the, the, the cane that blind people use with a little ball on the end of it, and uh, she had a teacher's aide, and they walked the building over and over and over every day. Now, there were other things that she did, but she was learning how to get around in that building without seeing, and how to use her cane uh, to avoid obstacles and stuff, but she had to have a clue as to where in this huge building in which I work, where she was. Uh, it's just beyond me uh, how these people do it. Uh, they, they can buy things with cash. Blind people can build things like furniture. They can shoot archery. They can play softball, bowling, and football. They can, uh, they can play uh, piano. Play Peter's 88 keys on the piano. You ever see Ronnie Millsap play? Man, he can really get down. Or Ray Charles? Both those guys completely blind, but man, can they, they can play piano. You know, the piano keys are not very wide, and then there's 88 of them there. And they can move across those keys fast and accurate. I mean, it's, it's, it's great playing for a seeing person, let alone a blind person. So it's amazing what blind people can do. This news story mentioned that James Schilling... Uh, was a, a for, or is former military. So as former military, he should be able to load a pistol literally with his eyes closed or with them not working. I mean, I think I could do that. 
and close my eyes to load my pistol? Absolutely. So if a blind person can walk around town, use a bathroom, unlock his front door, uh, he should be able to load his gun safely. There's two things that we need to think about. One is muzzle awareness, and one is that pesky trigger finger. At the very least, a blind man trying to load a gun could and should be able to keep his muzzle uh, pointed downward, say at 45 degrees. It's not going to hit his, his own foot, uh, but it's also not going to go out the walls into somebody else's house if the gun were to go off uh, unexpectedly. So you keep that muzzle angled downward at about 45 degrees, keep that trigger finger off the trigger, and then when if the gun does fire, say as the slide snaps forward, it shouldn't happen. The gun's not designed for it to happen that way, but let's say he loaded the gun, I don't know the circumstances, and he released that slide and, and let it chamber the round, uh, maybe there's something that uh, caused the gun to discharge during that time. Well, that's why you have your muzzle awareness. You have your muzzle pointed in a safe direction. So, should a blind man have possession of a gun? Well, you know, when you think about it, when you buy a gun and you fill out your background check, uh, Form 4473, nowhere in there does it ask if you're blind. I don't have problems with a blind man owning a gun and having a gun for self-defense. He should have a plan, just like he has a plan for everything else. If something happens, he hears somebody come into the, uh, come into the house unexpected, unannounced, you know, get, a, get in a corner of his room, uh, obtain his firearm, and sit there and wait for his room to be breached by this home invader. And using his heightened sense of hearing, uh, he could probably get a fairly reasonable shot off, but just seeing that gun in the guy's hand should be enough of a deterrent. But if not, using his heightened sense of hearing, he should be able to get uh, a fairly accurate shot off if he is um, executing a predetermined plan. Well, you might ask, what if a family member or friend comes in? Well, here's an idea, family or friend of an armed blind man. Knock first. Call first. Don't just walk in the house, especially if you know that your loved one is blind and armed. Guns are great equalizers for the more vulnerable members of our society, whether they're elderly or female or handicapped. They are the great equalizers, uh, and they should not. Even a blind person should not be forbidden the uh, right to own and possess and use his firearm. All right, well, in a free and open society, life would be a lot safer. Take, for instance, Kennesaw, Georgia. Now, Kennesaw, Georgia has been known since 1982 as having a law requiring heads of households to own a gun. Yeah, it's on the books. Kennesaw, Georgia, if you're the head of a household, you're required by law to own a handgun. Have you ever heard that before? It may sound a little strange, but it's on the books. Now, do they enforce it to go around knocking on your door saying, let me see your handgun? Probably not, but it's there, and it's there um, expressly as an uh, expression of support for that local government that the citizens be armed. There are actually several towns like this, uh, Nelson, Georgia, Nucla, Colorado. Here's one. I might consider moving there someday just because of the name. Gun Barrel City, Texas. That's southeast of Dallas. Sounds cool to me. And also a town called Virgin, Utah. Virgin, Utah. Yeah, there's probably a lot of them in that state. And I guess uh, with uh, laws like this, there's probably a, a lot of shotgun weddings as well down there. Well, moving back to Kennesaw, Georgia, Matt Brannan and J.P. Mitchell were eating at a Waffle House at 5 a.m., a suspicious man entered and walked around the restaurant like he was looking for something or someone. The suspicious man had friends with guns in two cars behind the restaurant waiting for his report. So this guy was scouting out the restaurant uh, to see if it was a, a good store to, to knock over and get some cash. Well, the scout, the suspicious man, saw Matt and J.P. dining 
while they were openly carrying their Springfield 1911s. You know, Springfield's rock. I mean, if it was a, if it was a Kimber, okay, or a Glock, they probably wouldn't have cared. But they were Springfield. Says so right there in the news article. Okay, Springfield uh, saves lives. Anyway, the uh, suspicious man decided against robbing the Waffle House. And local police at the same time saw the cars parked behind the Waffle House and investigated. They found that the occupants of those cars were heavily armed. They confessed their intentions and that they chickened out when they saw the open carriers inside the Waffle House. So this is just one of many times every day uh, where firearms prevent crime without a shot even being fired. You know what? Honestly, if I if I stop and think about it, it probably would have been just as effective, even if they weren't Springfields. But of course, uh, it's best that they they were Springfields. Okay, in my humble opinion. All right, honey, I'm home in Pascagoula, Mississippi, which is the home of the Mississippi Squirrel Revival, for those of you that remember that Ray Stevens song, a Jackson County, Mississippi coroner's office employee is well acquainted with dead bodies. Now he has made his own. Police Chief Matt Chapman said on Tuesday, the homeowner found Walter Williams, who was armed, burglarizing his home. Let me try to say that again. The homeowner, usually they are not mentioned, their names aren't given in these articles. The homeowner saw uh, Walter Williams, the perpetrator here, burglarizing his house in the middle of the day, 11.40 a.m. So when the homeowner entered his house, Williams pulled his gun. The homeowner pulled out his and fatally shot Williams in the bedroom of the home. According to the story in Associated Press, evidence will be handed to a grand jury so they can determine if any criminal wrongdoing has occurred. Okay, it's another plug here for U.S. Law Shield people. Don't be caught victimized by the legal system just because you weren't going to be victimized by a criminal. If you use your firearm for self-defense, you may need a lawyer. You may need defense in court. So call up U.S. Law Shield or go to uslawshield.com and enter code AKSFI when you decide to join, as would be the prudent decision. Thanks, everybody, for listening. The world has gone crazy, but we don't have to. Be wise and judicious, and remember to wash your hands after shooting. Lead deposits can be very unhealthy. We'll see you next time. This has been Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction. Find us on the net at aksfi.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast, and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.